the predictions for what's happening in the restaurant industry in 2022. That's all ahead on this week's Monday Minute. We're doing Monday Minute a little differently this week. We're giving our projections for the 2022 restaurant industry stakeholders. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, so we're doing something a little different and uh, we're talking about 2022, Meredith, and what does this mean for each of the important stakeholders in our industry next year? Let's start, of course, with uh, the most important stakeholder and the consumer. What do you think uh, is going to be afoot for the consumer in 2022? Oh my gosh, there's so much happening with the consumer this year, but one of the most interesting things that I've seen pointed out in all these different articles is really the rise of attention to health, positive nutrition, impact on the environment, uh, and millennials and especially Gen Z starting to really demand change in the restaurant industry and in the grocery industry. The, um, you know, we, I think we who live in a bubble, which I'll go ahead and say we live in a bubble, always hope that nutrition is going to become front and center and that people are going to eat more vegetables. And, you know, we talk about the book, The Healthy Eating Index, um, which is pretty abysmal for the U.S., but has inched up a couple points year over year. Um, And I am hoping that we're really starting to see uh, real lasting and major change on this dimension. And we are going to start to see restaurants and grocery stores offer healthier food. You know, after a year of pandemic food, which was very comfort food oriented, a lot of chicken wings, a lot of mac and cheese, um, I think folks are saying that consumers are ready to break out from that, have, uh, you know, very different ingredients, international uh, uh, flavors, and um, start to see plant-based just impact across restaurants, um, across grocery, across how consumers are eating. Yeah, totally agree. I would say the consumer is going to become even more demanding. If uh, a restaurant can't keep up with the basics of just general execution, they're going to just choose choose someone else and they'll forget about the bad experience and move on because there's plenty of choice out there. So for me, I think consumer expectations are on the rise and they will continue to do so. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Uh, This one has been a hot topic in 2021. Will it be a hot topic in 2022? The restaurant worker. How do we see this one playing out? Maybe I'll kick off with this. Um, Look, I think think it's clearly been probably the biggest issue that the industry has faced probably for the last 10 years, this kind of challenge with regards to restaurant workers. And I think many of the leading executives that are recognizing this challenge for the face value of what's been going on are saying, we need to change how we actually support restaurant workers. And I think restaurant workers are going to respond appropriately to restaurants that are going to give them the right kind of culture, not just the right wages, but the right kind of ability for them to see a career within their organization. You know, we've been speaking to the Chick-fil-A franchisee that uh, did the three-day work week. We've been speaking to the technology providers that are helping with faster payments and scheduling platforms. I think those that are embracing technology to help the restaurant worker are going to allow the restaurant worker to feel part of something. And that's going to encourage them to perhaps be bigger, you know, play a bigger role in the in the restaurant going forwards. And hopefully, therefore, address one of the other challenges, which doesn't get talked about enough, and that is restaurant turnover and how big that uh, issue is. Yeah, I think all of that is true. I think um, technology can absolutely help and culture can absolutely help in attraction and retention. 
Um, but you know, there's a funny thing here. The restaurant industry is still um, estimated to be, I don't know, about 10% smaller than it was pre-pandemic. So if there are fewer restaurants, why do we not have enough workers? Shouldn't we have more than enough workers? And we don't. Um, and part of that is because workers have so much choice in other parts of the economy. But a huge part of that is because not all the workers have come back yet. Um, there's still a labor force participation issue. And the two main groups of people who haven't come back to the workforce are number one, women, uh, because the burden of taking care of family and children when the schools were so interrupted over the last year and a half largely fell on them. Uh, I think as school life and uh, children's life returns to normal and uh, kids start to get vaccinated and things like that, you'll see those women start to come back into the workforce. But the other main group that hasn't come back into the workforce is older people. There are a lot of early retirements, um, a lot of people who I think just don't really feel safe working in frontline jobs. And I don't know that those people will ever come back. So to the extent that um, the restaurant industry was relying heavily on, say, boomer age folks to work in their restaurants, they're going to have to change. And that brings us full circle back to where you started, which is as you're trying to go from having a boomer workforce to having a Gen Y workforce, the tools that you use to attract, retain, and interact with those people have to be fundamentally different and have to look more like what they expect in other aspects of their life. Okay, um, let's talk about the supply chain. Another theme that we've been talking about in recent weeks, clearly a lot of challenges forcing menu prices up, but what do you think is going to happen for supply chain providers in 2022? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting one. Is supply chain, along with the labor issues, have been really, really difficult for restaurants and have caused uh, many simplification and skyrocketing prices. And so far, the consumer has been willing to put up with the high prices. Um, they do it in part because they're overall pretty healthy and unemployment rates are low. Wages are going up. Um, they also do it because they don't really have a lot of other choices. Prices are up across the board, whether it's at restaurant or at grocery. And so it's not like they can go somewhere else to get something cheaper. But there will come a point at which um, you know, the consumer reacts to these price increases and starts to behave differently because of them. And I think one of the interesting things here is that as prices go up in restaurant, eating at home starts to make a lot more sense from a takeout or delivery perspective. Um, and this is in particular because of things like, say, beverages or desserts, things that you might be able to do at home a little bit more cheaply in a group setting. Or the tip. Um, or also, the tip. Yeah, or the tip, also because of group ordering. So... Um, you might be able to get family style something that's cheaper than getting an individual item when you go to the restaurant for every single person who comes. You know, I was at a restaurant the other day where um, the markup on the bottle of wine was about six times what you could get it for in store, which is crazy. Usually it's about three times, right? So that tells you alone that the experience in restaurant is getting to a point where as a consumer, I might make a different decision. I might get takeout, eat at home you know, get a bottle of wine from the grocery store. And as you see that tipping point come, I think we're going to see even greater adoption of digital behavior, whether it's takeout or delivery. And I think we um, may also start to see a better experience in restaurant as a reaction to that, right? So we talk about this in the book. Um, and I think that point might finally be coming here in 2022. All right. Uh, let's talk about number four on our list, which is what does the 
future for restaurants in 2022? This is a big one because obviously everything is associated to restaurants. But um, you know, when I when I think about restaurants in general, I think all of the things we've spoken about so far are forcing restaurants to think about their menu differently. So I think we're going to certainly see menus become more simplified. But I think we're going to continue to see just this further kind of extension of variety in restaurants and the food they're providing. You know, I was reading in one of the articles that we've got below about just the way in which um, something called ancestral eats is coming through, something uh, around the way in which people are starting to be more and more interested in food and the heritage of food. Uh, I really kind of love that kind of angle to it. And I think what that means is restaurants are going to continue to find innovation in the way in which they're you know, creating menus that create a level of interest from the consumer to come and visit them. The other side of this is that that is going to demonstrate more interest for the consumer to be engaged with new restaurants and new brands. And I think that kind of thirst for variety is something that consumers still continue to be interested in. What do you think? Is yeah, be- there's a very interesting tension there between menu simplification and innovation totally. and variety, right? Um, so there'll probably be a lot more simplification on the basic side um, and then innovation on the margin. So we might see a return to our world of limited time offers and things like that, specials for the smaller restaurants. And then, um, as you said, a lot of new concepts up and coming that are able to bring that to life. I think in the in the restaurant, you know, I'll go back to the actual footprint of the restaurant. I don't think we've figured that out. Um, you know, one of uh, one of the future forecasting articles that Alex Cantor put out, he said, I think we're going to go from the traditional 30% back of house, 70% front of house, flip that to 70% back of house, 30% front of house. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, whether that be in a traditional restaurant, um, what we've talked about with um, pizza and the delivery carryout model um, or in a ghost kitchen, you know, all the way to the extreme. I think. Yeah, there's some there's some conjecture around whether restaurants will be open seven days a week, you know, whether that, their operating model will change. So I think that's going to be an interesting one to see. I do think there's going to be a, a level where restaurants are going to start to embrace this more hybrid model of being able to look at virtual brands and start to build that into their kind of overall throughput of what's going through their restaurants. So a lot of things in the back of house, which are probably going to go through a number of changes next year, I think, to accommodate the changes of this omni-channel world, but also the potential for virtual brands too. Okay, let's move on. Um, So talking of technology, uh, the next one, what about the technology players? There's lots of them. Uh, What do we think is going to be changing for technology in 2022? Oh my goodness. I love Noah Glass's uh, word for this, which is the digital entirety for restaurants. It it sounds a little ominous, but I think what is um, cool about it is the idea that it won't just be these point solutions, you know, put a piece of tech in for this and put a piece of tech in for that. It'll start to be the way in which a restaurant is run. It's run digitally. And I think what that means is that we're going to start to see suites of technology um, that handle lots of different types of problems, um, whether that's through integrations between partners um, or actual acquisitions of big tech companies swallowing up different uh, functionality so that they can offer something all in. Yeah, I think um, the term I think of here is the operating system, the restaurant operating system almost. And Mm -hmm. if you could imagine a world whereby there's an app store that can actually integrate with that operating system that's going to continue to demonstrate innovation and all the various different providers of technology that can enhance a way in which a restaurant wants to work but right now it seems to be that integrations are the thing that are actually holding a lot of these technology players back from really you know empowering restaurants to their uh, their true potential um 
absolutely. And then the last thing I'd say around that one, um, I'd say there's going to be a lot of other things starting to appear around dynamic ordering and dynamic pricing and things like that. I think we're going to start to see even new functionality come to play. The, the challenge is going to be about how do you actually bring that to bear and address all those challenges around integrations that you just mentioned. Okay, next one. Um, Third-party platforms. Um, are we going to continue to see them dominate this space? Are they still going to get a lot of uh, you know, VC funding uh, to continue their growth? Or are things going to get a little bit more expensive for consumers as that starts to dry up? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say something really uh, extreme here, which is I think Just Eat Takeaway is going to sell Grubhub. Um, and I think the most likely buyer is going to be either DoorDash or Uber Eats. Because what we see in every other vertical and every other country is two players. Um, and the fact that there are three main players here in the U.S. is very strange. Um, there is the outside chance that a new entrant will try to buy it. You know, someone like a Google, if they want to get into logistics, um, Amazon, if they want to do that last mile of something freshly prepared, you could see someone else um, purchase them and try to get into the market. Um, but I really think we're going to see industry consolidation here. And what that's led to in um, other verticals and in other countries is those um, two remaining players getting more profitable, therefore not needing the VC funding anymore, getting more valuable, um, and having more pricing power over the industries that they serve. Now, something has happened that's very interesting in restaurants that hasn't happened as much in other verticals in other countries. And frankly, um, to the extent that it has happened, it took longer. And that is that the restaurant industry, being so late to this party, realized, wait a minute, we don't necessarily have to go all the way through these third parties. We can do some business through them, and a lot of consumers love them, and we will um, be present on these platforms for that reason. But we can also do this directly. And, you know, when you look at, say, the hotel industry and how long it took them to figure that out and put in their loyalty programs and consolidate in order to, um, you know, have the market power to fight back against these big guys, that took a really long time. It was a long evolution. And in restaurants, um, you know, through players like Toast and Olo, we see that happening much, much more quickly in this evolution. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see exactly uh, what plays out. But I agree, a duopoly certainly seems to be the way in which the other more mature markets uh, are heading. So I think that's where we'll see it with uh, the, the US too. Uh, now, part of that system, of course, is also the next party in our group, and that's the drivers. Um, now, drivers themselves have been subject of this kind of discussion for quite a few years now. You know, are they, are they being treated correctly? Are they being paid correctly? There's a whole range of different things in this space, which I think will continue to proliferate through in 2022. But the, the recent announcement of Olo and Lyft, and therefore this excess amount of drivers into the system, I think is really interesting. And then also the fact that we've got drivers playing a role in supporting multiple verticals now is also helping the challenges that exist for drivers. So What's your take on how drivers are going to be having a, a slightly different role, perhaps a better role in the overall ecosystem going forward? You know, I, the beauty of the gig economy is that you could do it when you want and you can do lots of different forms of it. Um, and so I love that um, the way that the drivers um, kind of work within the ecosystem is that they just have lots of different employers, right? They've got lots of choice between the GoPucks of the world and the um, Ubers of the world, the lifts of the world, they can kind of do whatever they want, which I think is 
uh, is great. And that causes those platforms then to have to woo them to some extent to make sure that they are available on platform. And we saw in this last year with the pandemic, a lot of drivers kind of leave the system. Uh, they're certainly starting to come back, but that did cause wait times to go up, that caused prices to go up, that caused, um, you know, in the case of driving, shorter drive times, in the case of restaurants, lower basket sizes uh, to either not get picked up or take a really long time to get. So it, it's clear that the drivers are kind of getting back their power, if you will, um, and that therefore the system will have to balance out to work for everyone. Yeah, and I think it will be interesting to see how DoorDash get on with their employee drivers, I think in New York that we reported on a week or two ago, and how that potentially becomes a model in those more kind of city center locations where there is plenty of business to help keep those folks busy and therefore optimized in terms of their utilization. That could be an area where we see through the course of next year that we see a, a large proportion of employee drivers by those that have enough work to keep them busy. Um, okay, next one on the list is restaurant GMs and above restaurant leadership. Um, I'll kick this one off. Look, for me, one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough in this whole space that we, we chat on every week is Restaurant 101. Just the, the real importance of executing a great dish to ensure that it looks fantastic, tastes fantastic, has the right kind of temperature, is delivered with the right integrity and the right kind of packaging. All, all of those things are so critical, no matter the type of food that you're actually serving, no matter which platform you're using, whether it be a third party or first party. But it's the kind of challenge that I think represents something that still needs to be thought through. And I think it's on, yes, the restaurant GMs, uh, but also the above restaurant leadership to empower those GMs to have the right tools to be able to you know figure this one out because it's still not great you know the off-premise experience still has a level of improvement to be made i i think that's absolutely true and i think what's exciting about all this technology is that the the restaurant jam job is really really hard right you're called a general manager because you're supposed to be responsible for you know inventory and hr and finance and customer service like you run everything in those little four walls and um, historically, that's been a very difficult job that takes a very unique person that can understand and excel in all of those areas. Uh, and what technology does is make each of those areas a little bit easier. But we're at this transition point right now where the, the restaurant GMs have to learn to embrace that technology. They have to learn to rely on it and know that it can do as well or better whatever function it's serving as they used to do manually themselves. And that's a pretty big change. Okay, ninth on our list is around investors. So investors have been very active and certainly the financial community with the amount of IPOs and various different acquisitions that have been happening over the course of 2021. Do you think this is going to continue in 2022? Well, I do. You know, I think um, money is raised when terms are good. And terms are good when there's a lot of money in the world. And right now there's a lot of money in the world. So how long will that go on? I don't know. It's hard to um, call the end to that party, but uh, I think it is still happening and it will continue into next year, at least for some time. Um, and those who are able will take advantage of it. So those who have really strong businesses, um, those who are growing really quickly, have great consumer traction, you're going to see them continue to be able to raise money from whether it's venture capital, growth capital, uh, or going public. Or, of course, as we reported on last uh, week, uh, crowdfunding, right? Uh, people get to start seeing all this fuss and say crowdfunding is the way to go. So uh, I know. 
Okay, uh, and then last on our list are grocery stores and convenience stores. And I think quite honestly, we could talk about just retail in general, dark retail, micro-fulfillment, all of those kind of aspects being a very important theme and certainly an important theme in helping restaurants succeed when it comes to off-premise. But obviously everyone is having to adapt to that consumer change in wanting stuff delivered in what we call the I want what I want when I want it kind of approach. And I think Grocery stores um, are recognizing that restaurants are taking away some of their potential orders. And so therefore they're having to respond with not only ready for you kind of meals that can be made and made easily at home, but also with their collaboration, like what we're seeing with Kroger and Kitchen United can actually be able to utilize their infrastructure to be able to help restaurants and restaurants be able to get access to consumers through, through places like grocery stores. But then the C-store space, you know, the C-stores, I would argue, have the best advantage of being able to develop the ghost kitchen infrastructure across the country. They, they've spent 100 years or so optimizing their locations, and now they're in reach of most Americans within a two-mile radius. And so C-stores have an opportunity both in the ghost kitchen space, but also potentially in the micro-fulfillment space of being able to support, thereby, again, driving efficiencies and overall transaction value. I think that's absolutely true. I think we're seeing a blurring of the lines between all of these things, um, grocery, restaurant, other forms of retail and micro fulfillment. And ultimately, um, you know, the grocery stores have been losing share of the restaurants for 10 years. And what happened during the pandemic is that flipped as um, consumers started to cook at home, but it's not going to last, right? Consumers are getting much more comfortable going out, um, getting much more comfortable with the new ways to digitally um, interact with restaurants. And so grocery stores need to fight back to keep that share. At the same time, as we you know talked about with the prices increasing, it doesn't always make sense to use a restaurant to get certain types of products, right? It might make more sense to get those from uh, you know something like your local convenience store or your local grocery store. And so as those lines blur between those things, uh, I think we'll absolutely start to see groceries have more restaurant type food, we'll start to see restaurants have more grocery type um, shelf stable product, we'll start to see micro fulfillment centers, we'll start to see these platforms like DoorDash, which are already doing, uh, deliver from both a restaurant and a convenience store in the same drop. Um, all of those things, I think, will eventually settle out into the consumer getting uh, the best deal, if you will, on each type of thing that they're ordering uh, from the right place. Alrighty. Well, that was a great list of items. Hopefully uh, everyone's found that interesting to, to listen to. We'll uh, see where we're at 12 months from now to see whether those things come through or not. But I think one thing is for sure, um, and we said this in our book, we've been saying it all the way through the year, that we are very much in the early innings of change and there's going to be plenty of change coming affecting each of those different stakeholders through 2022. But hopefully everyone sees it with um, through the lens of promise and opportunity and really good opportunities i think for the industry going forwards if that mindset's in the right place and so uh with uh, with that we will leave you happy new year to you wherever you are in the world thank you as always for listening to us here on the monday minute please leave your comments below questions and any particular areas that you'd like to have us explore further in a future episode in 2022 but uh happy new year to you all and uh, speak to you next week happy new year
The Monday Minute is available for you to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Watch us on YouTube and follow us on all our social media, Learn.Delivery channels. Thanks for listening.